Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in an unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented time where your individual liberties are being handed over in the name of a government safety net or for the common good. You're tired of being told what you're allowed to say, how to live your life, or how to raise your kids. And so are we. We are the Break the Bell Podcast, and we believe your voice is your most powerful weapon. Join us weekly as we invade your ear holes with all the insanity that's going on in the world and expose the corrupt system that is hell-bent on keeping the power from you. You can check out Break the Bell every Monday night, streaming live on YouTube, or listen wherever you can find podcasts. Check out Break the Bell, and most importantly, never stop talking. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. like zooming in and out on its own uh <clears throat> dark um, tom woods i tell you crap why am i patrick uh liberty weekly his does that sometimes like it's really weird i don't and he just has like you know background <laughs> behind him like i do like i don't know why yeah uh, it's the it's the strangest thing it just started doing this is, is that it's it's involuntary right now what it's doing yeah, I, there's like I have no control over that whatsoever. It's like it's trying to follow my face. Oh, that's is crazy. there an so, autofocus that you can like turn off? Yeah, I thought that it's turned off. That's that's the problem. <laughs> it's like uh, the follow the the follow the face feature is turned off. The autofocus is turned off. Can we make you know, this I, racist somehow? Because I've heard that camera focuses are racist, and I, there's a Super Bowl commercial mm, that's all about this. I, I am a quarter answer. Sicilian, so. Yes, that's obviously putting the go. black man down. So there we go. The it's slightly tan everything man I do all turns into either racist or misogynistic. <laughs> like I, I just can't get away from it. Apparently, when I'm on, it's going to be misogynistic. That's that's the policy. Keep them guessing, Amanda. Yeah, really seriously. <laughs> all right, fact check this podcast. I'm probably just going to run all of that as like the <laughs> intro. I'm not even going to not even going to start it. Yeah, like just a, keep it in there. Just like okay. edit it. You know, I like the uh, I like the kind of soft open anyway. Like instead of having a real opener, like just bring it in in the middle of the conversation, and then everybody gets to feel like they were being involved. Rogan right. style, yeah. So I'm rejoined by Amanda today, who's trying to supplant Jim and uh, Mark <laughs> as my most frequent guests. And then we've got Eric, who I've been on Eric's show once right. and then i'll be on eric's show again this upcoming thursday but eric has not yet been on my show so that's the first time yeah. for eric he's going to pop my fat check this uh, cherry as it were Ooh. <laughs> well he'll be gentle i won't I'm, be but he will i'm always always yes. gentle well the I'm trick is of... you're supposed to like bite the shoulder to you know draw my pain away to somewhere else <laughs> Just uh, the, got that pull joke. the back of the head <laughs> amanda got that <laughs> like, joke that's all i needed right there i'm done See you guys later. Fingernails on the neck. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, so today we're going to review an article. And I've, I've kind of gotten to enjoy doing this. Just throw an article out there, say, who wants to come look at this and talk about it? And then just do with it what we will. Uh, That's right. It's That's the best way to do it. It's been kind of fun. I'm, I'm really, instead of doing like typical interviews, I feel like this is more the, the direction I want to go with this. Because I, I was planning on kind of shifting things around and, and changing things up for 2022 anyway. And this feels like a good direction, um, especially because I don't, I've gotten to where 
COVID doesn't interest me anymore. And like, I'm just burnt out on it. I'm sure y'all probably feel that, uh, especially as much as we're all on Twitter. Like, you've got to feel that. How privileged you are to be in a position where COVID need not any longer interest you. <laughs> yeah. We got, we got to pour one out for Amanda living over there in, yeah. uh, in California. So. Yeah, UCLA. <laughs> and not only that, but I already live relatively rurally and going to be moving even more rurally where it will affect me even less. So, yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, and I, I really do feel bad for you and everybody else in California, New York, uh, all the places that are still just living with this as if it's still April 2020. Like, that's got to suck. But I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah. I'm in a position in my life where it doesn't affect me and I just don't want to talk about it anymore. And I really do like finding inter- things that I think are interesting, like news articles and pieces and stuff. Or, yeah. um, you know, like today's topic is a article from The Atlantic called Kids Have No Place in a Liberal Democracy. And we'll pull the article up here in a second once we get into it. But I really like finding these things, especially when we get one from like Washington Post or from The Atlantic or Salon, some of these typically more leftist news outlets that they'll have good information in them and they'll have good content. And like for this one, especially, I actually really like this article. I didn't agree with everything that, that the author had to say. I didn't necessarily agree with all of the positions that she takes on it or the way she kind of uh, prescribes some of this stuff to like libertarian idealism with bringing up Rothbard through a portion of it and stuff like that. Like, I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I think it is good information and it's actually a well-written article and I found some value in it. So I like reviewing these kind of things and it's always more fun to have somebody on who you can bounce ideas off of. And today I get two people to bounce ideas off of. So everybody already knows who Amanda is, but Eric, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us what you do. And then we'll just kind of jump into this thing. Yes. I am the, uh, the host of the mildly popular rebel with cause podcast. It's available at every uh, podcatcher you can think of, uh, YouTube, Rumble, and uh, Odyssey, of course. So, But uh, I like to get people like uh, Justin on, and uh, we shoot the shit for a little bit. We kind of... Uh, this webcam's going to just... Uh, <laughs> it was just going to get closer and closer. I felt like it was in Zoom. <laughs> Nobody wants to be that close to my face, Logic Tech. Jesus. Uh, so... Yeah, we like to have fun conversations. I like to do what's called the back porch episode, where it just sounds like a couple of guys hanging out, drinking some brews, and you know, maybe barbecue and something, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty fun time. I'll have to get Amanda on at some point. Love to. I'd love to. I'm, I'm an Open absolute invitation. podcast media whore. So anytime, just hit me up. <laughs> Sounds good. Hopefully by then I will have figured out the, uh, what dark Tom Woods has done to my webcam. <laughs> Cause I'm literally not moving. I am trying to stay. I'm loving this still. right now. Yeah. It's like just, we're just going to roll with it and try not to sure. laugh too hard every time it happens. <laughs> I want music as it zooms in, like the, you know, the silent scream kind of motif going on. It's a very, on. very Hitchcock, yeah. uh, Hitchcockian uh, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, this just cements why everybody should be watching the video of these episodes and not just listening to it on your favorite podcatcher. Like, don't yeah. quit, quit giving Spotify and, and, and iTunes and uh, Apple Podcasts or whatever your, your attention. And you should just be watching it, preferably on Rumble or Odyssey. Uh, even right. BitChute is is okay, you know. Not YouTube if you can avoid it, but yeah. BitChute, don't worry, that video is still processing. So <laughs> I'm glad other people have had the same experience. Huh? <laughs> 
was like the number one reason why I got off of there. It's like it's you you upload something that was like maybe thirty minutes, and it's like four hours later, it still says processing. I was like, what is there left to process? So I figured out the best way to do that is I would upload a video right before I leave and go to work, and I work a twelve hour shift. So by the time you by come the back, time- it's like magic. Yeah. Right. By the time I get back, it's processed and everything. And I didn't even have to worry about it or think about it or sit there and refresh it for seven hours straight, wondering when that's it's right. going to finish processing. It took care of itself at some point. So that's it's like a crock pot. Yeah. The it's trick crock to, pot yeah. podcast. BitChute is the crock pot of video platforms. You just stick it on there, walk away, you know, forget that it exists, take a go for a hike. Uh, <laughs> what's something else that takes like 10 hours? Watch, watch the uh, drive watch. from Baton Rouge to Orlando, Florida. That takes about 10 hours. And I did that for the Tom Woods event. So it was fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound too, too terrible. Actually, it's only about 12 hours from here, huh? Yeah. And for Amanda, it's all, it's flight only. There's no way she's making that drive to Orlando. No, not so much. Flying yeah, Southwest. That's like three days in a car right there. So yeah. Well, or more. I know I, I do dig road trips though, but I try to make it like, a vacation so it'll be lots of stops lots of hiking you know i've driven across the country a few times and i absolutely adore it but it takes forever because i go all over the place yep well speaking of drives with lots of stops if any of you have children you know which i don't know i know amanda doesn't but <laughs> I, and i am childless and barren my friend <laughs> eric you got kids i have uh, two kids that i've rescued from the foster care system by adopting Ooh, them so wow. i saved oh, them awesome. from the state Yay. Uh, other than that, I don't know of any. So, <laughs> all, all of mine are either biological for me or for my wife. So, we've yeah. got way too many of them. But speaking of long road trips that are going to require a lot of stops, if anybody has kids, that's the way every road trip is, even if it's only about an hour and a half, uh, you're still going to make a lot of stops. So, today we're looking at this article from The Atlantic Kids have no place in a liberal democracy. In liberalism, as in life, children throw things into chaos and uproar. By Elizabeth Brunig. 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 She's, she's great. Yeah. I, I'm, and, and by great, we mean awful. No, I like Elizabeth. Elizabeth Brunig does good work. I say she, she yeah. is actually not terrible. I, this yeah. isn't the first okay. article of hers that I've reviewed. And like like I said, I, I don't necessarily agree with everything that she says on in all of her pieces, but she does generally do pretty solid work i don't dislike and like i said with this one like i I really do enjoy this one um so i'm gonna kind of read through this first paragraph and then we'll sort of take it from there because this is another one of the things that uh specifically right here in the first paragraph that i usually find in a just about any atlantic article like there's usually one paragraph that really stands out to me as like what the fuck and then the rest (laughs) of it is usually good so we got the what the fuck out of the way right off the bat Uh, so we are building towards a series of uh, portentous midterm elections that might as well be called the kinder referenda with exactly none of the whimsy or charm that word entails. Whether the specific issues relating to children, the parents, politicians, pundits, pediatricians, and peanut gallerists have spent the past several months debating school closures, vaccine mandates, masking, appropriate ready, uh, reading material, classroom instruction, and the role of families therein appear on every or any ballot is irrelevant. The fate of the nation's children is the engine of moral concern driving electoral activity, local and national, left and right. If Glenn Youngkin's surprise gubernatorial win in Virginia last year was secretly foretold in every fractious school board meeting and town hall preceding it, 
then it was also a portent of things to come. It's a childish world, and we're all just living in it. Now, I don't disagree with that last line, but I I keep finding it surprising how many uh, liberals and Democrats, and, and especially the very far left, were surprised by Yunkin's victory. How many of them are surprised consistently by Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema? Like how frequently, whenever their agenda gets thrown back in their face, they just it's complete shock and awe. Where for anybody who pays attention to the political landscape, like Yunkin was <laughs> Yunkin was gonna win like that. I, I didn't see that as overly surprising. Uh yeah. What's his dick was growing increasingly less and less uh, popular as his as his term went as governor. Like he was he was on his way out. (laughs) Yeah. As far as authoritarian uh, train wrecks. uh, Yeah. That guy was just that was it was just bad from the start. It was like, oh, oh, we found this picture of him in either blackface or a Klan robe. You know, there's there's it was like, well, I don't know which one I am in this picture. They're both bad. Yeah, it's what I call the the Thomas Binger phenomenon. Actually, I've finally been able to give it a name. Where so Thomas Binger thought that his thought that the jury was Twitter, and so he basically prosecuted a case for Twitter. And yeah. I feel like in a lot of very very blue areas and very blue institutions, uh, corporate press being one of them, what happens is that you have people who are so insulated um, because they don't want, and I'm speaking generally here, but they don't even want to affiliate or associate with people who have unorthodox positions. So they just start to think that everyone thinks like them and believes what they believe. And so the Youngkin victory came as an absolute shock because not only are they disassociating with people on the right, they're disassociating with like normal 90s liberal Democrats, like suburban moms. Yeah, the so. same thing happened in 2016. They couldn't figure out why the blue-collar workers in, like, Ohio that normally vote, like, big labor Democrat couldn't figure out why they were voting for Trump. Mm-hmm. And it was it's kind of the same way. I was like, no, you guys completely lost the base. So, Well, and that's like the ones who have spent the last year plus in absolute shock and awe that Joe Manchin would oppose, like, all of the most progressive leftist agenda that they've tried to push. Yeah, blue-collar Democrat from West Virginia of all fucking states, right? So it's ridiculous. Right. Like, if you just paid attention to literally anything that he's voted on for his entire political career, you knew that was coming. You shouldn't have expected him to just suddenly saddle up with fucking communists. Like, that's that's not who he is. (laughs) And he's... He's never made it a secret. That's the funniest thing. As he's always said, no, I'm not going to vote for this. I don't like this. Guys, I'm not going to support it. And I was like, yeah. where does Joe Manchin stand? He's a mystery. Yeah. He's a complete mystery because we haven't listened to like two minutes of a speech that he gave, you know. Wrapped and he, inside was, of he was that way when Obama was in office. He was that way when Trump was in office. Like, it, was, it was part of why I was all in favor of getting the 50-50 split in the Senate, which I've said a, a handful of times now. But like I was very in favor of this 50-50 split in the Senate because it set this up perfectly where you got to see Joe Manchin just swing his dick around and wreck everything. And like that's it's the most beautiful thing ever. I've I've gotten my wife over the past couple of years to really start paying more attention to politics and stuff. And like every time there's a, a headline about Joe Manchin just wrecking some leftist agenda 
bill that's trying to go through this that they're trying to push through the senate she's like joe manchin's my hero look he, <laughs> he destroyed another one <laughs> well and that's the thing too is there are i know um i've i've heard from multiple people that there are a lot of people and there are a lot of senators a lot of democrat senators who do not agree with the extreme leftward agenda and they're just happy to have people like Manchin and Cinema covering for them so that yeah. they don't have to go out there and take the arrows. Wish more of them had the balls to stand by their principles and yeah. and vote the way they believe and as opposed to towing the the party line. But you know, it is at the end of the day, it is Washington. And yeah. All right. So back swamp, to the article. Swamp creatures all the way around. <laughs> Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. So back to the article. Um, so now, you know, we get into the part where it talks about how basically in every way America um, is kind of based around children to some extent or another. A lot of uh, like it talks about the Scopes monkey trials, Brown versus Board of Education, Wisconsin versus Yoder, Tipper Gore's Parents Music Reform, uh, Re Resource Center. I mean, there were the Obama administration, uh, shit, what was it that, that Michelle Obama headed up? Was it the, Probably the, the school lunches? Yeah, yeah the school, school lunches. lunches stuff. Yeah. Uh, Bush had No Child Left Behind, which might have been the most disastrous uh, thing for the public school system possibly ever since the inception of the, the Department of Education. Um, like everything kind of goes back to, to children. Uh, I'm going to have to go put the dogs out, I guess. So, <laughs> so everything kind of revolves around children. And so she'll, she'll start kind of talking about how there are different uh, ideas around how to raise children, how to bring children up in a liberal uh, democracy, which is an interesting wording for it, but I, I don't necessarily think it's incorrect. I mean, for, all things being equal, we have as a country moved more liberal over the last 30, 40 years, uh, hell, uh, century, and especially, especially so over the last 20 years. So I don't particularly disagree with it while I'm not like it. Um, what are y'all's thoughts on kind of the ideas around ra raising children and the different methodology that she kind of talks about with this? Because we have the extremist authoritarian style of raising kids. We also have uh, the she gets into the Rothbardian uh, that the state cannot force you to take care of your kids, which is I think that I think that uh, way oversimplifies what what was intended by that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, what are your uh, thoughts on this part of it? Well, you know, I'm 42 years old, so I have been hearing this is for the children literally all my life. That's every single politician when they get up there and they're starting making their campaign promises that they have no means or ability to to actually keep it's it's always been it's for the children so that's why i always kind of laugh when i hear people like nancy pelosi and it was like oh we're keeping mask mandates in place in the in the uh, in the schools because it's it's for the children we don't want the children it's like well look at the numbers the children are getting sick you're doing this because of a teacher union said to you know yeah, I've, I've heard that same song and dance for a long, long time. 
Um, so I, I, I want to visit a couple of the uh, the methods that she addresses, or a couple of the perspectives that she addresses on child rearing. The first has to do with this argument about so liberal states authoritarian families. I think in a way, uh, the argument about children being reared by authoritative parents growing into adults capable of exercising these virtues in the civic realm, I think in a way that makes sense, but not in the colloquial sense of the word authoritative. And in fact, this is the, you know, that this presages the this kind of misreading of our rent that comes in a couple paragraphs later. So when you think about authority, the actual meaning of authority has to do with this authoritas, and, and Arendt writes about this and what is authority, where it goes back to a sense of values or principles or founding virtues. That's the authority. Then you have the autores who are designated with the responsibility of upholding and perpetuating that respect for the authority. So if we want to translate this into US liberal or democratic republic, maybe the authority would be the constitution. And then people who are actores, ideally, those are the, the those are lawmakers. And in the private realm, those are parents and, you know, and other figures. So when she then writes about what Arendt in the crisis of education says, um, it's more that people are abdicating authority, yes. So she gets that right about Arendt. But I think there's a misread of what Arendt means by authority. So people are abdicating this set of core principles and virtues and societal principles, societal purposes that we're supposed to be teaching people to uphold. Uh, and in place of that, we're just trying to make the authority figures, the authority itself. That contributes to a loss of cohesive self-narrative, that contributes to a loss of cohesive identity and social identity. Uh, so that was one thing that I wanted to say about the you know authoritative parents and what that may or may not mean. And so, like, I guess, so, so this, you know, the authoritarian style of parenting, uh, it kind of, I guess it didn't sit particularly well with me. Like, for my mm -hmm. own personal parenting style, I am fairly strict, but in a very loose sense, if that, yeah. if that makes sense. Uh, so I've talked about, like, with my management style is this is a similar way. Like, I have very specific expectations that we need to accomplish as a team on the job site or whatever we're doing. I'm the same way with my parenting. I have very specific expectations of my kids. How you go about getting to that, I could not possibly care less. Mm -hmm. I am extremely loose and freewheeling. As long as it's done, I'm fine with it. So like the, 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 this sort of at least for the way I was reading it, it almost like breaks it down into either you are like uber authoritarian and you dictate everything or you're not at all. And you go the completely opposite direction. And I don't feel like those are uh, absolutes of parenting. Uh, that's a, uh, 
and they're not absolutes of the educational system either, uh, or at least they shouldn't be. Uh, maybe, maybe to some extent more so they are uh, in modern education, but you know that's not the way it should be. So I feel like there was some, there is some nuance that kind of gets lifted out of this uh, conversation, at least for the way this is kind of broken down throughout this piece of the article, is that like the, there are ways to express authority and raise children in a manner that they're prepared for society without being authoritarian. And there's also ways to do that where they have the freedom without becoming anarchists. I mean, my kids are still going to be anarchists, but they'll be the, uh, they'll be the good kind of anarchists, I guess. Well, what I think you just described about your parenting style and, and your leadership style, it would be authoritarian in the true sense of the word. But of course, you know, it, it rings so weirdly to say that. Um, I would call the alternative that you described, that would be more totalitarian, but yeah. Yeah, I kind of have like the uh, the walled garden approach. You know, your kids are free to do whatever you want, but once you get close to the boundary, that's when you're going to get corrected, you know. All right, so we've we have arrived at the uh, <laughs> at, at the shit paragraph. <laughs> the, yeah, the shit paragraph. <laughs> Liberalism has its strange entrance to the much-venerated libertarian economist Murray Rothbard, perhaps something of a liberal extremist, <laughs> refused to accept that free and equal individuals in an open and fair society could place such absolute demands upon one another simply by being. No man can have a right to compel someone to do a positive act, Rothbard writes in The Ethics of Liberty. Thus it follows, he concludes, that a father may not murder or mutilate his child and the law properly outlaws a parent from doing so. But the parent should also have the or the parent should have the legal right to not feed the child, i.e., allow it to die. And the law therefore may not properly compel the parent to feed a child or to keep it alive. <laughs> no obligations, no responsibilities, no authority, and not a lick of sense. Well, I uh, I think she takes it out of uh, out of its intent, and that definitely doesn't make a lick of sense. Uh, you wanna. Uh, I'm gonna break this down a little bit and put it into a better, uh, maybe a better context. That I don't know. Probably for anybody listening to my show, they're probably more familiar with Rothbard than the typical Atlantic reader. But who knows? We might catch a few strays that uh, that see the the topic here and and jump in. Want to want to hear about this? Eric, your camera zoomed in on you like you were about to say something, and then you didn't. Dude, I have no idea. I'm just glad it's not like zooming up my nose. So, you know, yeah. See, do y'all have any thoughts on this line from Rothbard as it's kind of brought in? Yeah, here? I mean, the Ethics of Liberty, it's a, it's a pretty thick book, and there's a lot that goes on before that paragraph, and there's a lot that goes on after that paragraph. And it's not actually something that a lot of libertarians agree with. Like myself, I would never like intentionally starve my kids just because I think, oh, it's, you know, they're children. Uh, if they're, they're old enough to speak, they're old enough to get their own food and water, I guess. Yeah, it's like not all of us are like that. And there's the obvious disagreements here, even with the great Murray Ann Rothbard. But this is always the quote that is brought up by the mainstream media whenever we start quoting Rothbard about other stuff. 
Well, I think when you put it into a larger context, because there are a lot of things in Rothbard's writing and his philosophies and, and the things that he kind of bases stuff around it, um, and, and a, a very central tenet of libertarianism as a whole is personal responsibility. Right. Like, and like somebody, I don't think that the state, maybe, maybe, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think that the state should put that requirement on me, but at the same time, I'm not going to, as a responsible person who takes principles and values and morals and ethics into account in life and and holds that personal responsibility like i'm also not going to need the state to tell me i have to do that uh so like that there is a there's a lot of nuance to that argument to be made that it's like and and that's also something that is more of a uh community type of thing like if i know that somebody as a parent is doing that to their kids i'm gonna go deal with it yeah that's it's not the it's not the place of the state to insert itself into family matters and the matters of community and things like that. Like that's, that is a intercommunity interpersonal thing that should be handled. And, and maybe that gets a bad rap in, especially in modern society, because uh, for, for all intents and purposes, we do live in an extremely soft, non-confrontational society, um, which Amanda, we had talked about this a little bit with the with the females in the workplace episode. Feminine society, yeah. It needs more right. man, manliness. It needs more manliness. <laughs> Harvey Mansfield's right on that. Oh, I'm never going to work in this town. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. But yeah, like I, I think there is a lot of uh, community aspect to this that that gets left out of what Rothbard is talking about throughout the course of this, especially throughout the course of Rothbard's works as a whole. Like this, this one line seems completely out of context, not just within the course of the book, but within the course of like the principles of libertarianism. Right. Yeah. I was eager to hear you contextualize that before I jumped in, uh, understanding you probably know your Rothbard better than I do. I'm more of a Hayekian. Um, whatever that may, may mean or say. Um, hey, we all like Salma Hayek in uh, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Mexico. It, there it's we okay. go. There yeah. we go. Yeah, no, wonderful, wonderful actress. Um, but, uh, you know, you can look at this two ways, right? So on the one hand, you can say, well, absent a government, if you volunteer to bring a child into the world, then you are the one who is usually with others but primarily tasked with taking care of that child and teaching it to be able to take care of itself. So when you do enter into a political society, there is an obligation to you know, provide those or rather to facilitate those institutions and those rights and responsibilities that would obtain absent a political society and child rearing is one of them. You can also look at it as saying, well, if you think about it, the government doesn't compel you to feed your child. What the government says is you have a child 
And if you're not willing or able to take care of it, then you put the child up for adoption. And so in a way, we do have those institutions that are protecting a child's natural rights without, some would argue, infringing on a parent's right not to feed their child, although that is a very extreme case. Um, but I think you, you can look at that in those two ways, um, both of which kind of uh, challenge the, the oversimplification that Rothbard gives here. Yeah, yeah, that's, um, I like that kind of that breakdown. I think that, uh, I mean, it is a, there's a lot of nuance to the arguments to be made there. But yeah, uh, um, to put it in just the, the very blunt context that it's used for this particular article, uh, which I guess libertarian has been a, uh, a nice buzzword to attack here lately uh, since, oh, yeah. since the left and the right have both proven themselves to be in, increasingly unpopular and the probably the most prominent alternative has typically been the libertarians and uh, for for as terrible as LP National has been for a long time, we have still managed to carve out a little niche in the political landscapes in spite of ourselves at times. Uh, and, you know, if anybody jumps on Liberty Twitter from at any given point in the week, you might catch half a pure, dozen different... Pure cancer. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, half a dozen different arguments over some of the just dumbest shit you've ever seen. But, yeah, I mean, that's part of our appeal is we're we're all a bunch of anarchists that like to fight about shit. So, um, <laughs> uh, being a, a Hayekian, uh, my buddy Mark and I did the show uh, Los Libertinos with Carlos Avalar, who is the owner of uh, Paloma Verde CBD, and who are a great sponsor of this show. Go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and use the promo code FACTS and get a discount that I don't remember what it is, but you get a discount nonetheless, so go do that. Uh, plus, he has really good stuff. I have a whole shelf full of it that I use regularly. So, um, but he had a conversation with Andrew Koppelman, who has written pretty extensively, uh, basically bad-mouthing libertarian, libertarianism at every turn. Um, but Koppelman oh. is more of a, views libertarianism as more of a Hayekian thing than a Rothbardian thing. And so, so Carlos asked me uh, if I preferred Hayek or Cruz. And I got really confused because I was trying to figure out. I was trying to figure out how to compare Hayek and Ted Cruz, or if he was even talking about Ted Cruz. Tom Cruz. Tom and Cruz. It, and and yeah. as it turned out, Terry Cruz. Uh, Penelope Cruz. Penelope right. Cruz. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. He, he was talking about Salma Hayek or Penelope Cruz. <laughs> And I was just taking it in the whole completely wrong direction. I was trying to figure out how. <clears throat> can we get another Latina actress with the last name Rothbard just so we can <laughs> completely melt people's brains? Or a Mises, too. That would be great. Yeah, or a Mises. Yeah. yeah that, would be, that would be perfect. 
So yeah, I, I took that. I, I took that question in a completely wrong direction. But uh, the obvious answer is Penelope Cruz from Vanilla Sky, definitely. Uh, so anyway, moving on with the article since I took us on a sidetrack there. Yeah. Oh, I guess I that, could pull. That's it back what we up. do, man. We run off the rails and then we never come back. Now that's that's the way these go. And we didn't even have Jim here to do it for us. We just did it on our own. It's like a California train robbery. Yeah. <laughs> so so we get into the the next kind of Amazon package left undisturbed. <laughs> so of liberalism as in life, uh, so or and so in liberalism as in life, children throw things into chaos and uproar. And believe me when I say I find this to be one of their many charms. Uh, I'm a bit too OCD and so that I don't find it all that charming. But I have plenty of those kids, so. Uh, I guess I don't have a choice but to find it somewhat charming. So they make a mess of things. They break the rules. They test limits. They create situations, to put it lightly, wherein adults behave in ways they wouldn't normally. Now, is there a clear, is this clearer than in schools, which is where all of these philosophical problems manifest as screaming matches at town halls or, in a lot of these cases, school board meetings? Um, So it would be one thing if, I'll go ahead. No, I was just going to say, isn't the point of liberalism, though, that you have all these innovations that thereby throw things into chaos and uproar and make a mess of things? Like, isn't that creative? Distru- I mean, it's not even creative destruction, but you're, that's disruption. That's innovative disruption. Children are liberalism. Children are the products of liberalism. I think that's cool because I like innovation. I like innovation that perpetuates innovation. I don't think you can have a better example of that than procreation. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I just thought, oh, well, that's actually an apt, that's an apt microcosm of, of liberalism and liberal society. And see, that's what I kind of thought was interesting about this article was the the use of authority and authoritarian stylings and stuff like that, especially where education is, is involved, um, especially as much as she, as highly as she thinks of liberalism and the ideas and ideals of liberalism, because like that's, we should not be, if, if we're doing liberalism, right. In the classical sense, in the classical sense. Yes. Right. And, and I, I mean, that's, I would say that's the argument that she is attempting to make throughout this. Maybe not always well, but that's, I believe classical liberalism to some extent or another is what she kind of bases a lot of this argument around. Uh, having schools where some do things one way and some do things the other way, where we're having a governor's election in Virginia being largely based around CRT and a lot of the other shit in the school systems that led up to this past year, uh, the election of this past year. A lot of the things that you're seeing with school board arguments and fights over mass mandates and what have you curriculum, uh, banned books which i did an art i uh i did a episode about not too long ago but all of these different things that should be a staple of liberalism like these things are healthy for society arguments and and discussion and dissension and all of these things are supposed to happen in a, in a truly liberalistic society because then you then you have the push you have the things that uh, you find out what works and what doesn't and it it drives innovation and improvement and and you see what's working like uh, a, a lot of times it feels like 
some of what this gets back to is having a more rigidly structured state form of educational liberalism that is uh, that falls into a real specific uh, kind of format. Uh, and that, that's not that's not truly that's not liberalistic in any way. And at least not in my opinion, I don't think. Yeah, and it's like ultimately what, what comes down to it is, I think, over the last couple of years, parents got a good look at what the, was being taught in the government school and didn't like it one bit. And when they actually went to press the issue, uh, then they got met with the uh, the force of the state. You know, it was locking up uh, parents showing up to these town hall meetings that are righteously upset with what their kids have been taught. And, uh, you know, obviously people are going to butt heads about it. And the ultimate takeaway is, you know, don't send your kids to a government school. If you send your kids off to Rome, they're going to come back Romans. It's, well, that was a very anti-Italian sentiment that you expressed, and so I can only assume that you were. I'm a poor Sicilian. I'm I know. Well, they're, well, yeah. Well, no, Sicilians do hate Italians. You're correct. For that. <laughs> That's right. Because I've been in, I've briefly lived in Italy. It's lovely. But anyway, um, yeah. I so I I want all parents to have those those resources, and I think one of the problems, and Corey DeAngelis is great on this, is that we fund systems rather than students. Whereas if we were providing families the money or the funding, if, if, we're, if we're going to fund education, then we provide families that funding so that they can then send their child to the school of their choosing, at the very least, insisting on open enrollment, whereby you have a family that's able to send their child to any school within a certain geographic vicinity, as opposed to, no, you live in this gerrymandered zone and therefore your child has to go to this really kind of crappy public school that's further away than the better public school. But we had to do this this way because of random boundary drawings and something about my political uh, well-being depends on your child going to this crap school. Um, I don't want to. Yeah, I live I in Louisiana. Have... Tell me about it. <laughs> this, this was my middle school experience. Honestly, I uh, yeah. went to. I was in a public school system that's supposed to be one of the best public school systems in the country, uh, and was in the zone for one of the worst public schools schools within that district. Mm. Um, so and it was on... a danger zone. It was, yeah, it was not very good. Um, and it, it was horrible for, for all kids. It wasn't horrible because it was horrible for me. Um, I think if we have funding for students, not systems, we eliminate those problems. But, you know, that's that's another tangent for another time, I suppose. I'm, you know, I'm big on education reform. And I think there are ways to reform education without going uh, fully anarchic as it relates to education, which scares some people. And if I'm being honest, you know, I don't think, I'm not ready to give up on a kind of almost like an education I don't want I don't want public schools to be the norm I but I would like there to be some kind of backstop for you know for families or some kind of default uh, but what I would want to see is competition within the public school system much more than there is today so yeah ending it at the federal level would be a huge step because if yeah. it's taken over by the states then you'll you'll have that competition yeah yeah, just allowing open enrollment. And again, vouchers are great. 
vouchers are amazing, you know, if, if we're gonna if we're gonna do it that way. But so I grew up extremely rurally and like you don't say. Yeah, yeah, never would have figured it out from my accent. <laughs> right. Um or you know, the fact that I talk about my goats and chickens and my personal little farm on a Your regular basis. collection of blades, you know. Yeah, blades and guns and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, no, nobody ever would have expected that I was a, a rural farm boy. Um, so like where I grew up, you had no options. It was it was you either went to the county school or the city school. And there were weird cutoffs where technically, if you lived in a certain part of the county, you were supposed to go to the county school, but you could still go to the city school. Um, and even if you lived in a certain part of the city, you were still technically supposed to go to the county school. So weird. Even though, yeah. even though the city school was literally three miles down the road, because of where you lived in the city, you technically fell into the county, and so you're supposed to go to the county. And honestly, neither school was good. Like <laughs> we we were <laughs> we were probably bottom five in the like both of them were probably bottom five in the state. So it's not like you know you're getting. Uh, a huge benefit by going to one over the other uh, or you yeah, can have that down here. There's a couple streets over one half of the street goes to one school. The other half of the street goes to the other school. That was how it was when I was growing up. Yeah, no. that's, that's ridiculous. It was like yeah. these kids literally live right next door to each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so, so then you also had the option like for where I grew up because I was right on the Kentucky, Tennessee state line. You could also pay out the ass and go to a Tennessee school, which were for whatever reason, even though they're literally seven miles away, infinitely better than either of the schools that we had choices for in Kentucky. Like, well, you know what they say, living free in Tennessee, right? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> uh, but, so like, it, you know, it, it was a, an interesting position to be in because you didn't really have options. So like for me, you, you make the best out of, where you have to go to school and uh, you know, it, I saw public education from that perspective where we had good teachers who sincerely tried hard to teach us what we needed to know. But at the same time, you see the system and the way, especially after I graduated, uh, we had old school principal, old school vice principal, old school superintendent, who did things more the way my parents would do things. And then within two years of my graduating, uh, by the time my brother was a senior, they had a new superintendent, a new principal, and everything went to shit. Like <laughs> they weren't, they almost to a large extent weren't permitted to teach things the way that they wanted to and the way that they should because they had to abide by the state requirements and the state requirements were absolute horseshit. So, so like we had, we, we, my, my class and those before us were really kind of lucky in that we had the right teachers and the right administrators that they just did what they wanted to do without concern for any of the bullshit. And then once they all retired, which basically happened with my class, uh, all the new people that came in were state educators and 
then it all went to hell. And yeah. I mean, it, and then watching my mom being a preschool teacher and deal with that on a year to year basis for the last 20 years has been absolutely disastrous. Like she eventually, as, as soon as she was able, she retired because she couldn't put up with the bullshit anymore. And, and like to see educators who sincerely try to help their kids do, you know, learn and progress and be hampered by a system that won't allow them to like, that's, that's what, that's what really pisses me off. And they could completely wipe out both of those, the city and the county school, and just let the let there be a private school be built. Because I guarantee you, the community would build a private school for those kids. And those yeah. teachers would have a job. And those teachers would probably make more money than what they do now as a bottom five uh, state-run school. Like, the community would step up and do it. It's not like if you end public education today, tomorrow, no kid is going to have a, an education ever again. The poor kids aren't going to not get educated. Like, right. I, I don't care how much they argue that that's the case, <laughs> that poor kids are going to get left out of stuff. That's not going to happen. These communities aren't going to allow that to happen. Yeah, it works in India because they have over a billion people there. And not everyone can get into a government school or a really expensive private school. So there's poor parents that all band together and they do like a basics uh, type of education over there. Now, it not, might not be like up to standard like we're used to over here, but out of necessity, they do have to teach their kids. And, you know, unfortunately, if you got everybody working in the family and mm -hmm. there's a you know good way to keep the kids off the streets during the day. Yeah. Well, and what's that, the that value the in the? I said, what's the value in the standard that we have here now? Like, right. how many, how many people that work for me that are making a hundred grand a year don't don't use anything that they learned in high school? Like, literally, nothing about our job requires a high yeah. school education. Like, you can yeah. learn. And I'm in civil design. I can tell you right now, I don't use any of that stuff. So yeah, like none of those guys learned how to drive a fork truck. In high school, yeah, they're not forklift certified. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's not happening. You, There's something to the sociability provided by a high school, or just not even high school, but just like by by an education, by a standard education that I think does redound later into life. But to your point, um, you know, I would, I don't want this. I don't want what we have now to be the standard because the standard is clearly broken. Um, and again, I, I want to see that replaced with, with systems or, you know, that will allow students to be funded directly and give parents and students choice in curricula. So, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I say so. I want to I want to touch on that a little bit, too. So talking about the, the social interaction side of it, like mm -hmm. my granddad, I think my granddad played basketball his freshman year of high school and never went back after that. Um, and he was, went on to be sheriff and was, uh, if, at least ju judging by his, the turnout at his funeral, he was an extremely well-liked person. Um, and, you know, with no, with no real formal education uh, up to that point, and, you know, past, basketball his freshman year of high school and you know even prior to that it was you know a little schoolhouse on the corner type thing it wasn't you know big public school so socialization and stuff like that especially if we were to break it down and, and it could be a community-centric type of privately funded educational institution 
or not even institution, but just community run education system, you're going to get, I think, I think actually probably in those situations, you get a better social interaction because you're, you're going to be around the people in your community, like not just the kids, but more adults from your community. Like, I don't know how many of the teachers that were not so much when I was in high school, but after I graduated, uh, seeing my brother and then going, going to visit my mom at the school when she was still teaching after I'd graduated, a lot of those teachers don't live in the community. They drive mm-hmm. in every day. They're not, yeah. they're not active members of that community. They're not, they're not in the hood hanging out with these kids every day, you know, making sure that they're doing what they need to do so that they can be on the football team and so that they can be on the basketball team. They're not in that community, like going and doing home visits with, with teacher or with, with parents and talking about like, this is what your kid's doing well at. This is what your kid's not. They, they're not. And how many of these, especially like Amanda, for you being in, in California with like the large city schools that they have and stuff there, I would almost guarantee you none of those teachers are actually involved in any of their communities that they, that they teach or represent. I don't, I don't know about the, the primary level. I do know that, you know, at UCLA, I mean, the, the entire area of Westwood is just, you know, filled with professors. So, you know, you, the, the houses along the, you know, campus is on a hill. So the houses like all the way along the hill are these gorgeous houses. And if you live there, you're either a student renting or, or you're a professor, but I don't know what it is like at the, um, at the primary level. See, I'm not sure. I, I would assume probably parts of Louisiana are similar to a lot of the parts of Mississippi that I lived in when I was down there, where yeah. you have the state-run schools and the teachers are like brought in on uh, Teach for America and different educational type programs. Yeah, and they live in the more hoity-toity, well-to-do neighborhoods. They don't have anything to do with those students outside of they get to school in the morning. The kids get to school in the morning. They leave in the afternoon. The kids leave in the afternoon. They they don't have, they're not in the neighborhood. Whereas like my my high yeah, school football few. coach. I know of exactly two teachers that live like nearby. That's my high and they're school more involved right than the, the others. So yeah, they're more involved than the others. You'll actually see them at community center events and stuff like that. But, you know, the rare, very rare that that happens around here. And I think that's a serious problem in public education is that the, yeah. the, the teachers are not actually part of the community. Like I said, like like my high school football coach lived down the road, like literally right down the road. He he still does. Like when I go home to visit my parents, I can walk to his house <laughs> like we had uh, one of the basketball coaches lived in town in the hood, like just a nice a well-to-do white dude who <laughs> bought a house in the hood because he was a basketball coach. And like, that was, you know, that was his community. That's where he needed to be to, to be around his students and his players. And like, that's, you don't get that in public education anymore. I, like I said, I, I don't think any of the, I don't think any of the teachers uh, that are still at the school actually live there in town. I think they all, drive in from bigger cities and like, they're not, they're not part of that, that community. And I like, yeah. that's that you lose a lot with that. Whereas with, you have 
a private school that's more community centric, you get that. And, th- and then that, that creates, you know, this, what the article is talking about, where you have a more liberalistic methodology for the educational system where they're getting more, more ideas and more things. And it's more community centric and it's more involved and it creates that environment for learning and growing and bouncing ideas off of each other. And you don't need an authoritarian government style of, of department of education that pulls the strings on everything. Yeah. It it would create a better communities. Feel like I went on a rant there. The education is (laughs) watching my mom teach preschool for 25 years and just the disaster that, the state run preschool programs are it yeah pisses me off to no end and like everybody all of my teacher friends are like you just don't want us to get paid or whatever i'm like actually i want you to get paid a lot more and i don't think the state is ever going to do that i think that we should do away with the state so that you can get yeah. paid like i don't hate i don't hate teachers and i don't hate schools i hate the department of education and the way the state runs those things right and again if there's no federal oversight over public schools in your local area, you know, teacher pay would go up because then you're not paying administrators and making sure everyone's in the, the buzzword compliance mm-hmm. with X, Y, or Z. So. Yeah. A lot fewer overhead costs, yeah. but in general, I, I think the argument about children that that's being made by, by Brunig in this article, I, it, it really is. It's not children. I mean, it's everyone. These are people in, in liberal society. We're articulating an issue with humans in a liberal society. Um, and I don't think she's doing this on purpose. And I don't really even think she's doing it knowingly. But there seems to be this, uh, this looming specter of a straw man, the atomized individual ideal. And... I don't, liberal society doesn't strive for that. I don't think libertarians strive for that. Um, I haven't met a single libertarian who is not to some degree community oriented and wants to find, and is a libertarian precisely because they want to find meaning in community outside of the state and outside rather of state imposed strictures and regulations and fealty to whatever strictures and regulations they want to create those ideals and senses of authority outside and beyond and like in 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 the relationships that exist before and go beyond the government so i think we're in this when i was reading this article i got this sense of again, a straw man type of, uh, type of figure that believes that, well, really what liberal society aims for is for everyone to just do their own thing and not care about anyone else. And then those other people are, are also doing their own thing. And I don't think that's really the point. Um, and again, I, I don't think Elizabeth Bruning's doing that intentionally, but what she's articulating is just, is, a, is an issue about living communally that liberalism attempts to solve because prior to liberal ideas and liberal institutions, though that problem of living communally was solved by totalitarian systems and feudal systems that just say, you go in this box and I make you do this thing. So then you don't get out of order and we can all coexist. 
and liberalism doesn't quite do that. And that's kind of the messiness that you get that makes liberalism what it is. Yeah. So here in like her closing paragraph, she kind of, kind of what you're touching on there. So libertarian or liberalism has its necessary limitations. Children can't be given free reign over their own affairs, though that would solve the riddle of their simultaneously helplessness and agency. And neither can they be relegated to the private sphere until adulthood. So as to align the question of what to do with them in the public domain. Instead, they force us to debate the merits of our own moral doctrines explicitly, despite the fact that we have little skill for it and less practice. Children foreclose the possibility of living and letting live. They are one of the chief reasons we can't all just get along. There are people, both public and private, dependent and necessary, creatures whose very nature places demands, beautiful ones, upon others, drawing them up and out of themselves and into the world. So like that, that's really pretty language and I don't necessarily disagree with, but it, it kind of brings up like what you're talking about. Like they're uh, kids, kids are messy things and, and liberalism. Uh, maybe she is, maybe she is right in the assertion that kids have no place in a liberal, uh, whatever she said, in a liberal democracy as the, as the headline stated it. Um, but I think that's maybe because of the way that liberal is defined throughout the article. Yeah, well, Does that makes sense. Yeah, and and kids are the, you know, my argument would be that that kids are the microcosm of the people in a liberal democracy and the creation that takes place in a liberal democracy that's both human and you know, objective. Um, and uh, yeah, the line that bothered me was children foreclose the possibility of living and letting live, because I would like to know what understanding of living and letting live we're working with here. Um, <laughs> you know, attending to others and thinking about others and, uh, and creating other humans. Does that not, is that not living and letting live? That, that was where I kind of got this, this sense very palpably of that atomized straw man. Um, but you know, it's 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 well written. I just would quibble with some of the presumptions about presumed alternatives. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I I don't think we're getting those. So once again, libertarians arguing about semantics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what else is new? And I mean, like I said, it it's it's a good article. I enjoyed the article. I'm, you know, the the semantics are really the thing that I'm. Uh, that I have the problem with. I'm about to go kick the dog. Hang on. Don't don't Just kick the dog. Live and let live, Justin. In, in fact, go thank the dog for warning you. Oh, I that see. there's a monster outside. I see. I didn't realize it. It's <laughs> it's three o'clock in the afternoon, and at three o'clock, literally every afternoon, she absolutely loses her shit. I don't know what ghost it is that runs across the yard at three o'clock at three o'clock every afternoon, but I hope that fucker doesn't follow us to the new house, and, and we don't have to deal with this once we get moved up there. It, Just make sure you don't have on, any like strange ornate boxes in the attic and uh, no dolls. Definitely no dolls. I'm halfway convinced my apartment is haunted. It's a really really old apartment. Y'all argue amongst yourselves for a second. I'm gonna go put them out while we yeah. wrap up. Okay. Yeah. Right, so now we're going to get into the paranormal investigation portion of the show. <laughs> no, I'll just like randomly have things that seem to like I 
are that are placed in areas I don't remember quite putting them. Mm. And so I, I do I wonder kind of low key whether whether my my apartment is, is haunted. But Could seems be. to be a kind of mellow ghost if, if it's if it's haunting me. Just kind of uh just kind of doing things for shits and giggles a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I mean, but not like the ghost that's messing with my camera right here. (laughs) There you go. Maybe it's the same ghost. (laughs) It's the same one. Just got to mess with it. Yeah. Now, I mean, I've got some stories that'll, you know, curl your hair and, uh, you know, and everything about uh, ghosts moving stuff in the house and everything. But. uh, (laughs) Oh, God. Eric's telling uh, Louisiana ghost stories. I've I've got a few. But yeah, if you've uh, if you think you've got something in the house, you know, definitely set up a camera. You can talk to the things. Sometimes they uh, respond to you on uh, on recordings. If there is a ghost, I don't really mind it. it. Just kind of keeps me on my toes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I don't remember putting that fork there. Yeah. No. I don't even remember having a fork. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you have a history of sleepwalking that you don't know about. No. That'd be kind of fun. And the camera will show you that too. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've never had anyone report sleepwalking to me. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I got distracted with dogs completely losing it. I don't know what's going on there. They are still outside losing it. Usually putting them out takes care of it. It's yeah. My dog literally sits, our couch backs up to the window. So she literally sits on the arm of the couch with her head, like right at the window and she keeps watch all day long. So if somebody like three streets over, like accidentally honks their horn when they get out of their car or something, she's all up in arms about it. it. Yeah. Yeah, There's like, turn the radar off. For just yeah. a minute, please. Yeah. <laughs> now there, there's there are certain dogs around my apartment uh, who will who will do that. Like at the slightest motion by the door, they'll start absolutely screaming and then just go on for an hour. Yeah. Yeah, and the it doesn't UPS help that she's man. a black mouth cur, so she's got a very deep, low growl and a bark and everything. Oh. She's only like fifty pounds. So okay. That's just crazy. The UPS man is her mortal enemy, but it's Sunday. He's not running today, so I don't... right. Yeah, that son of a bitch knows what he did. <laughs> the, the only thing he does is pull into the neighborhood like i don't even get stuff from ups like m- maybe maybe three or four times a year ups will drop something off <laughs> yeah he doesn't even come to our house but as soon as as soon as that big brown truck pulls into the neighborhood loses it absolutely loses it. <laughs> yeah it's it's small dogs that that tend to be the worst though because it's you know they're compensating for the lack of size by being incredibly vocal and shrill which oh, is yeah. basically my theory of, of my own behavior, quite frankly. She's a very schmedium dog. She's a, a schmedium. Schmedium. She's she's smallish, medium, but she's also really fat. So, and she's not really fat, but she's fat for her size. <laughs> she's gonna come in and just say, just give you that look, like Stop I body that. shaming your dog. Well, I'm and a, then my like I'm my a dog, dog jackass. I have better hearing than you think. <laughs> my dog is massive. He's got some great Dane in him. And so he sits on the couch and just looks at her like she's a dumbass as she's like losing her shit and barking at the nothingness that's outside. But yeah. Also he's uh he's a little slow. So he might just be too stupid to figure out what it is that she should that he should be barking at. But I love Great Danes. They're just giant goofballs. <laughs> yeah. All right, we devolved into uh, or changed Changed direction and went into talking about the the hair children, the hairy children instead of the regular children. Although I guess some people might have pretty hairy children. Now, just my son. He, he's thirteen, so 
That's getting to Mine that point. too. How's that going for you? <laughs> Amanda, would you like to borrow a couple 13-year-olds just to find out what adulthood or parenthood is really I all about? I already have an inner 13-year-old, so I got my hands full. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, you definitely don't want my son running around. Yeah. Or mine. Yeah. No, I love, I love children who aren't mine. It's great because yeah. I have two nieces and I get to just be a part-time parent. Oh, Amanda's taking the awesome aunt route. I see <laughs> I, how it's exactly. going to go. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I have like awesome aunt hair. And the first <laughs> time I ever met my two-year-old niece, I was granted exclusive holding privileges by her. So, yeah, it's it's fun to not be the disciplinarian and just have cool hair. Children will really yeah. respect that. It's really fun. You get to hold somebody else's kid. And it's like, yeah. okay, that's enough of that. Yeah. And here you go. Back to mom. Oh, it's 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 diaper is wet. I think this is this is a mom. This is your job. Thing. Yeah. No. This is mom does that best. Good. Love you. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap it up. I guess. You got any closing remarks on this? I think we. Uh, I feel like we actually pretty thoroughly covered it before I had to go put the dogs out. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, it was a it was a pretty good article. Uh, although the that's the one thing with Rothbard that it it constantly gets brought up, and people actually need to read that entire book so they kind of know where he's coming from. But yeah, the, the my... famous Colombian actress uh, Monica Rothbard, right? My, yeah. No. no. <laughs> yep. My second favorite, right behind Salma Hayek. Salma Hayek. Do, do we do shameless plugs now? Do we, do yes, we do, do shameless, shameless plugs. plugs? Shame, okay. Shamelessly plug everything. All right. Yeah, no, I have an awesome podcast made uh, made awesome by the fact that I have that I co-host it with a wonderful guy named Maurice. It's called Civil Discord Podcast, and it's available on all your podcatchers. Uh, Downloading audio. all the episodes as we speak, by the way. Awesome. So, wow. Enjoy yeah. that. Um, <laughs> available in your ears as well as in front of your eyes because we are now on YouTube. Thanks to Justin, who's producing it. You can follow us on Twitter at Civil Discord Pod. You can also follow me at Ajax the Griff. I am temporarily private but i will follow you back i promise so i'm gonna get right on that in fact yes i will follow <laughs> you back i promise yeah. i think i'm already following you yeah are you i, cool. I just followed you right before i got on ah okay yeah. gotcha i haven't really he will not follow you back you gotta <laughs> no that's actually the reverse of the problem i have if you follow me on twitter at rwac podcast like right where you see over here uh there is a high likelihood i will follow you back and then uh, wonder why i did in the first place so. yeah but yeah if you uh want to follow me on twitter that's basically the uh, the social media that i use the most uh i'm also on float.app uh at rebel with a cause uh mines as well although i don't really get on there getter i mean who cares at this point uh you can find me on uh, youtube rumble and of course odyssey all the same name but of course uh Check out one of my episodes. It's got all my links in my uh, coin tree thing there as well. So, and BitChute, that first episode is still processing, but by God, it'll yes. get up one of the. It'll yeah. be up there. Yeah, it's it's it'll get there eventually. It's BitChute is like I think I can. I think I can. The problem is if you, all right, Sorry. if you do like so like you know on on YouTube if you upload a video, and it uploads and then it says processing. You're like, okay, cool, it's processing. And then you can just close it out and walk away. Yeah. With BitChute, if you close it out, once it, it hits it. the processing stage, yeah. then it just dies. Yeah. So then you have to start the process all over yeah, you're again. You're going to leave that so browser open. Yeah, so that's why you have to just like leave it open and walk away, you know, go. 
go for a a, a 10 mile run you know uh, 1990s internet rules apply go start up the computer go get a pot of coffee made make breakfast for yourself go work out come back then the computer will be started go to air then you can begin the process of dialing meet up with your local dungeons and dragons nerds and get into that for a while uh use net groups remember use net groups no, you no. kids don't remember that. Do don't, a playthrough of that. Mass Effect. That'll that'll tie up about forty hours, and then by the time <laughs> you're done with that, it'll be processed. I barely yeah. remember Errol's. I don't really remember what it was for. I just remember like my dad would sometimes take me to Errol's on the weekend. It was an internet related thing. Does anyone else have any memory of something called Errol's that was related to the internet? No. No. It was like Maybe uh, it was... our my first uh, encounter with the internet was actually putting the phone receiver onto the modem. To get a blistering 2400 baud. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, you actually had to put the phone on the modem for it to connect to a, uh, a dialer. Oh, and uh, even text, like a four kilobyte text, would take forever to download. That's so strange. Yeah. Dad, my dad would come in to his office. I'd be on MSN Messenger chatting with my friends after school. And he would come in to his office and kick me off the internet so that he could receive a fax because the internet oh, line yes. the internet line that hooked up to the modem was the same as his fax line for work. So if he was expecting to receive a fax, he would have to kick me off the internet so he could receive the fax. <laughs> and then and then after the fax had come through and everything, then I could hook back up to the internet and continue to go on MSN chat rooms with my friends and talk about basically everything that we had just done during the day at school like that it's not like we had deep conversations or anything i remember it being a cool thing that like i I don't remember having to not be on the internet for someone else to be on the phone but i remember it being like a cool and new thing that we didn't have to do that so yeah uh asynchronous dsl yes exactly oh there we go that's it has a name yeah Former AT&T tech over here, so I learned all about it. Yeah. Now, one of our favorite things to do was go ward dialing. So you would take your uh, computer over to a friend's house, and then you would start dialing every number that was associated with the business to find out what their internet line was so you can get free internet. Oh, wow. Interesting. (laughs) Oh, tricks of the trade. Oh, yeah. So... If anybody's still, anybody listening to this in some third world country where you're just now getting dial up, listen. Uh, it gets hit, better. Hit up, Eric, hit up Eric. He will give you all of the tricks for getting yeah. free internet. And then if you get 14, days, 4K, I mean, you're balling. So. One of these days, Elon will get you the uh, Skynet or whatever, and you will be able to have high speed internet. But don't besmirch uh, Starlink. My brother has it, and it's like 320 gigs down. It's It's ridiculous, especially if you get multiple satellites queued up at the same time. Pretty good. Well, I've seen it fly over once, or at least that's what they told me. It was not actually some giant UFO. It was supposedly starting. No, UFOs don't exist. Come on. What are you you doing? It's swamp gas. Yeah, sure. See? (laughs) We'll we'll have to do a UFO episode next time. Definitely. Definitely. We'll (laughs) totally have to do a UFO, ghosts, all kinds of stuff. Oh, is that what we're doing Thursday? Sure, why not? We did conspiracy theories last time. We should probably do an actual topic this time. Yeah, Parent, probably. Maybe write something down in the notebook and just kind of start there. Yeah, that's how it works. 
Look, we didn't do anything racist or misogynistic in this episode, so we should probably be as racist as possible on your episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm good at anyway. Yeah, uh, my son was given an N-word pass at school, so I guess I can borrow it from him for a little bit. All right, I got to... I got to hear about that, but uh, later, later. Not we got to wrap this one up. All right, <laughs> thank you everybody for joining us. If you didn't uh, catch the plugs, they were given like ten minutes ago. Rewind and find those. And in the meantime, I hope everybody has had a good uh, experience with this. God, that was terrible. I uh, hope everybody got a little bit of something out of this. I will be back tomorrow night with a live stream with uh, David Brady. Is that his name? God. Dave Brady. The, he, yeah. He's- such a cute little boy. He's, he's out there. He's and he wants it. to talk about inflation. Uh, like, I guess it makes sense. Literally all he's known for his entire life is rampant inflation. So yeah, uh, better get accustomed to a kid. <laughs> yeah. It's not getting any better. So David Brady is going to be joining me tomorrow night for a live stream where we're going to talk about inflation and who knows, I might even wrangle somebody in to uh, just wreck that conversation and take it down a completely wrong path. <laughs> I can come Jim. in there and just shout the N word all over the place. If you, if you need <laughs> <laughs> you know I, the, that might not be a terrible idea we'll talk about it all right <laughs> so, hope everybody has a good rest of your day check back in tomorrow night and if i don't see you before then i uh, hope you Shit. land the plane justin land the plane you need a sign off this is why you need a sign off yeah i'm terrible about this ending stuff usually i just uh see it like i do for my morning show I just say, oh shit, hit the outro, and then we do it.